I, I know you know this already, I'm sure, but uh, uh, we used Ubuntu Mate 1404 for our broadcast station, and it worked like a champ. It was great. And um, I was, yeah, grinning ear to ear when I heard that that's what you'd use. Yeah. That was brilliant. It, it really, it was perfect because... Uh, you know, it gave us enough of a of a. We we there are certain things we needed to be able to do that are sort of like a traditional workflow. Like, uh, um, for example, I was syncing over art assets, and no one needed to be able to you know look at a bunch of files in Nautilus or um, whatever the file manager is called and open them up in Inkscape and modify them. So there was some there was some need to have sort of a more traditional work desktop environment on the broadcast machine. But it doesn't need to be anything very um, doesn't need to be anything very high end because it really doesn't doesn't do much more other than the broadcast. It's just when we sit down to use it. So it was. Perfect because the low resources meant that the rest of the resources went to the broadcast, and uh, precisely it, it was just uh, it was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. So, so, so I know that you've been using Ubuntu Mate for some production mm-hmm. use, mm-hmm. and there's a podcast that I I'm now. I think I think I'm an officially a member of the team. <laughs> I think that happened last time or mm. the time before. Anyway, but there's a podcast I do with Popey and mm-hmm. um, Laura and Mark now, and 50% of that is done with Ubuntu Mate. And I know a couple of YouTubers that are doing all of their stuff on Ubuntu Mate, and I know of a radio station in the uh, US that's using Ubuntu Mate for their um, radio. So... Um, it's becoming quite popular as a broadcast platform. Mm-hmm. And when I heard uh, Noah and Alan talking about their trials and tribulations with setting up that machine and sleep deprivation and all the rest of it, it got me thinking, you know, maybe there's the opportunity to create an Ubuntu Mate broadcaster alternative hmm. image, hmm. which comes pre-packaged with you know the tools that a broadcaster would want to use so things like mumble and obs and video editors and audio editors Mm. and i don't know what those tools are but you know if you can speed up the deployment and have an out of the box i mean there's already ubuntu studio which um, does that by building on top of zubuntu but yeah it got me thinking maybe there's um some collaboration potential on that yeah, you know, and that is very it is it is already a bit of an advantage we noticed uh because a lot of times when we would set up a production machine, then there's then there is sort of setting up the actually installing the OS is sort of the fastest part of it. Because then there's the go you go to the vendor's website, you go get your login because you purchased the software and you have to log in now, and then you get the download links and then you download it and then you generate the serial number and you of course you install it. And then you, after you install it, you restart and all that good stuff. And then you come back online and then you launch the application and then you put the serial number in and then you activate the application and then you begin the setup process, right? Of course, and that's, that's assuming there wasn't any drivers you had to load for the capture card, and, which there always are. Um, so all of these things like, are just completely eliminated when you do it under Linux. It's already so much faster that we were just like blown away, um, so I can only imagine, like, if, if it was even more streamlined. And I know one thing we're thinking about doing is, a, is an image, but the primary challenge is is that uh, – and this is one thing that I've always kind of worried about the nut to crack under Linux is there is a fine line to walk where the system would get so stagnant that, uh, like, o- OBS would be held back or OBS would be held back, for example, because maybe we need a newer version of FFmpeg or something like that. So there's this – there's this line where it's where I'm like, okay, today we can use a 1404 installation. I'm not so sure if next. In fact, I, I would be, 
I would be shocked if next year at Linux Fest Northwest we were still on Ubuntu 14.04. I just I would I would I would bet that all the underlying technology since it's being developed so rapidly is going to move forward and and I would bet that it just it won't work for us. I don't know what we'll be on, but I bet it's not 14.04 next year. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, one of the things I've been looking at is um, the idea of software channels. So there's lots and lots of PPAs out there, but it's up to you to decide um, the quality of those PPAs and if they're just delivering a single package that they want or if it's everything under the sun and you don't quite know what else you're going to drag in as a result of adding them. So I've had this idea of software channels with a UI where you can turn on like the FFmpeg software channel or the Mumble software channel Mm. and it's by application. And instead of you having to go and find Mm. the PPAs, Mm -hmm. you just enable the applications that you're interested in and it turns on sort of pre-vetted quality PPAs that deliver those packages so typically the ppas that are made by the developers rather than you know enthusiasts and hobbyists that might have a ppa of just you know a load of stuff that they want on their machine Mm -hmm. Hmm. that would be and of course that's how users think of it too is by the application yeah exactly so you have an icon and you say enable mumble channel or enable ffmpeg channel or vlc channel or LibreOffice 4.4 channel or whatever it might be yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, the other thing that's great about Linux is uh, when we decide, okay, well, now it's time to add in the audio stream, it's like, okay, well, we'll just go install Darkcast. And uh, it's just, it is, once all of the stuff gets in place, it is so much easier to do it under Linux once the software's ready. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's still hungover from Linux Fest Northwest 2015. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. <laughs> hey there, Matt. I, I swear, I had two beers over the course of the entire Linux Fest Northwest, and yet somehow I feel hungover. I felt over, hungover for a couple of days, and then I realized it wasn't so much the fest itself. It was like the six or seven days leading up to the fest <laughs> that crushed me. Because I actually, like, Saturday night after Linux Fest, I went to bed like at 9 o'clock. Like, oh, yeah. Guy, yeah, we went to the after party. It was, the after party wasn't so good. But we went to the after party, and then I left after about 10 minutes. And, uh, yeah, Imacon's shaming in the chat room for only having two beers. It gets worse, Imacon. After that, I went back to the hotel room at, like, around 9 o'clock, and I fell asleep after watching Obama's White House correspondence thing. And the rest of the group went out and had, like, played their cards against humanity and were, was up to, like, 1 in the morning. And meanwhile, I'm sleeping. I'm saying, <laughs> even though I went to bed early, I still didn't get enough sleep. I don't know what it is, Matt. So today, Man. today we're going to cover some of the best interviews we got from the floor of Linux Fest Northwest 2015. If you watched the Linux Action Show, you saw the interviews we got live as people stopped by the booth during the show. But Linux Fest Northwest went Saturday and Sunday, and it's something that's sort of a phenomenon that happens at these fests is the sessions let out, and man, it is like a herd of people just... They swarm the floor, and it gets nuts. And then it kind of the sessions fill back up, and the floor kind of empties out. And all of the cool people that are sitting at the different booths all of a sudden have nothing to do. And so they stop by our booths, and they talk to us. And so we <laughs> sat down with Alan, of course, Alan from TechSnap. He's going to give us an update on the state of ZFS on Linux. 
uh, and to describe how boot volumes work for us. Um, also, a guy from Intel who's working on getting the Intel Minnow board to be a premier Linux device, and he talks about why Linux is just the best platform for these Intel Minnow boards. These are these boards that are designed to compete with like the ARM-type boards. It's really fascinating because it's what you get from an ARM board, like a Raspberry Pi, but an x86 chip on there like a full-fledged Intel chip. So he's going to talk to us about that and running Linux. And then the guy who brought Netflix to Linux originally and got the whole snowball rolling that eventually brought native playback joins us to talk about all of that and Wine's critical role in moving people over to Linux. Plus, towards the end of the show, we might just have a clip that could land us in a bit of legal trouble. So it is a great show today, and uh, it, audio or video, there's going to be a little something for everybody, Matt. So why don't we start getting into it? Before we go too far, we got to bring in our awesome Mumble Room. So time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings. Hello. 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 <laughs> Love it. Like Hell. a wave of voices. Yeah. You know? yeah, it's like doing the wave a little bit. Uh, yeah. uh, all right, guys. Well, you guys are like our virtual Linux Fest every single week. Who needs to go anywhere? We'll just talk to you guys. That's not, that's not actually true at all. That's not true. No, it's not true. But uh, it, it doesn't matter. Hey, so uh, we have many things to cover, but I had one story that uh, just kind of slipped out between Linux Action Show and this show that uh, I wanted to give some coverage to because uh, it's a pretty good release. And it's one I've been looking forward to for a little while now. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Sis, I'm getting an echo back uh, from your mic over there. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, all right, so it's a it's a it's a news release that I've been looking forward to for a while. It's pla- it's KDE Plasma five three. This is a big big deal. This is a really big release of the Plasma desktop. This is one where I think people might want to consider switching to Plasma five if you've been holding back. And it adds a few new interesting features as well, specifically around enhanced power management. And boy, did these guys go for it and gals when they decided to make this feature. They've built in a lot of features from Intel's PowerTop application right into the KDE Info GUI Center. Now, Matt, if you bring up the uh, like the uh, power management section uh, in K Info Center, they will now integrate the uh, PowerTop readings right into the graphing, so you can see what applications are consuming the most power, and it generates you an energy consumption graph, kind of like you see on Android. It's really see, slick. Th- well, this pisses me off because now I want to use KDE again. <laughs> It just totally, it's like, come on, guys, stop it. I know. Stop innovating, damn it. I'm trying to, like, find a desktop and stick to it. (laughs) Knock it off. I know. Jeez. I know. Hold on. I just decided I'm a gnome guy. Don't do this to me. Right. Don't do this. Uh, But wait, there's more. I I don't know what this means exactly, but also now uh, screen brightness changes are, are animated. On most hardware, I don't know what that means. What? I I don't know how you animate a screen brightness change other than I'm glad it's animated. I like that. I know I yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and that could go a couple different ways. I mean, were we talking about like doing a Disney cartoon, or are we talking about <laughs> actually like a transition? I mean, I don't you know. know. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. It's like an OpenGL fade, or yeah, or is it something completely right. different? Uh, also, right. they completely revamped the Bluetooth management applet, uh, so it looks really good and much clearer to connect to available Bluetooth devices. And the touchpad configuration, well. I don't know if I'd say it looks good. I mean, it's a touchpad configurator, uh, but boy, is it cray. And I'll even emulate uh, uh, little like areas for you to drag and click to test stuff uh, and set wow. up uh, action corners for like the top left, top right, bottom right, bottom left of your trackpad. Uh, you can do tap and drag gestures, gestures. You can set locked drags and tap detection timers and all of these things that, of course, you'd only be able to do under KDE. And I'm not going to say it's the best UI to do it, but at the same time, I'm glad they're not taking away some of the power toys. So I'll take it. 
That is now. See this? Yeah, this changes everything. Jeez. Improved widgets all along too. Wow. New clipboard applet gains support for showing barcodes, which is kind of crazy, but easy to transfer something from your clipboard to your Android device. The recent mm. uh, they now have a recent contacts and recent documents menu that's been cleaned up. The menu, whole menu thing uh, looks really. It's just the whole thing looks really good. And the tech preview of Plasma Media Center has been added to this release. It's a full. It's they say it's fully stable, but missing features. Uh, so version one will have more features, but they say it's stable now. Wow. Yeah, wow. Also a huge step towards supporting Wayland. So uh, boom shakalaka. The Plasma desktop keeps chugging right along. I mean, like, I, I go out of my way to dislike KDE, and I'm having a really hard time right now because it's like, this is really compelling. I mean, and I'm not a fan. So this is saying something here. You know? I'm not going di- to dig any deeper. I'm not going to dig that hole any deeper, but I'll just say, I'll just give you this, I'm Matt. impressed. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, so yeah. we've, uh, before... Before we even started the show, Wimpy jumped on, and uh, Wimpy Wimpy asked me, he said, so, Chris, what's the latest with Angela Switch to Linux? How is it going? And I thought I would open up uh, our update on Angela Switch to Linux and her whole uh, switch to a Yoga 3 by uh, capturing a special moment that happened on the live stream at Linux Fest this weekend. Think Penguin was there, and they were giving out stickers for you to place over the Windows key on your keyboard. And so we thought the proper way to christen Angela's new laptop was to get rid of that Windows super key and put a Tux Penguin on there. So I'll open up the Yoga Update segment uh, with this clip. Yeah, hard on this. Okay. To put that, win- that, that, that uh, Tux sticker over the Windows key. Oh, oh. that would be interesting. It's right here. It's right here. Oh. Or you can use that one if you want. Okay. But yeah, there you go. Right. If you want to Tux that, that Windows button. All right. All right. Okay, the tension the builds. Tux. Noah gets the sticker ready All right. as I fold the yoga screen back. All right, By the power vested in me. Yeah. By the GNU <laughs> and the penguins. And I the now beard. Pro- I n- and the beard. I now pronounce you no longer freedom-hating garbage, but instead freedom-respecting. That's beautiful, Linux. Noah. <laughs> so beautiful. Keed. Give me now kiss the yoga. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. It now has a tux. Somebody on. better kiss that computer. Oh yeah. Then Noah kisses yep. the computer. <laughs> very nice. Not a dry very, eye. Very, very nice. Not, yeah, yep. not a dry eye. Not a dry eye. It was a very emotional moment. So now Angela has a, a, a Linux penguin on, on the button. Now, okay. So what did we end up doing? So the MacBook sold. Thank. Goodness, the MacBook sold. So the yoga is going to be paid for. Thank goodness. Um, <clears throat> now, I I left the studio that night after Linux Unplugged, and I said to Noah, and I wish Noah was here so we could get an answer. And if anybody in the mumble room knows the answer, Mr. Sis, you might know the answer. I don't know. But if anybody or Blaster might know, I left here thinking that we were going to put Ubuntu Mate 1404. We're going to go LTS. And then we sort of, you know, you know what? We'll do this. We'll do LTS and we'll do GNOME 314. We'll do the GNOME PPA because she likes GNOME. And all right, so we'll do that. And, um... One thing led up to another, and I don't exactly know exactly what transpired, but I kid you not, when I got back in here the next morning, it was running Arch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when I left, he was installing Ubuntu. I literally have no idea quite what happened, why we switched from Ubuntu LTS with GNOME PPA to Arch, but we did, and... So that's what she has, is an Archbox with GNOME 3.16 on it. So far, she's quite happy, and everything <laughs> seems to be working. Mr. Sis, do you know why uh, he didn't go with LTS? Were you in the room when that decision was made? 
Yes, I was. I was there. Okay. Uh, I was part of the decision. Okay. I can confess to that. Um, however, there is a non-disclosure agreement that was agreed to at the time. Um, so all members would have to be around to then agree that we can disclose that decision-making process. Okay, so before we can reveal the reason we have to bring Noah on the show and get his consent, uh, and maybe Alan, too, since he was present, and... Uh, <sighs> and Rakai. Okay, okay. I might have to get uh, consent from Rakai off air, perhaps. But I, this is, either way, um, what, what I want to focus on is that she actually, she said something to me uh, over dinner that made all of the work worth it. She said, I think this is the time it's going to stick. Because the difference, and I, and I want to I reiterate and underscore this, if you can afford to do it, the difference is she really likes that hardware. She likes that laptop. She feels like she got something nice, and it is something nice. And it's set up just for her. And, you know, we also went through and cleaned up some of her old data and offline some of it, and we just sort of did some general hygiene stuff as well. And I think overall... Uh, she's missing a few things, and there's a, there's a couple of threads going in the Linux Action Show subreddit. Like uh, she used a Pixelmator, which is uh, sort of like a Photoshop alternative under OS 10. She uh, she doesn't have anything quite equivalent to that. She's looking at Karita and Inkscape. Not I don't know if that's going to do it for her or not. But there's threads going on and on about that. But so far, it looks like it's actually going to stick. And uh, I I uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not like totally, like totally comfortable with the arch thing. But I, since we were gonna do it before, and I was okay with it, I'm okay with it now. I'll stay on top of it for a little bit, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Delegate, my friend. Delegate. <laughs> I, I I'm telling get, you. Oh, we gotta get that reason. We gotta get that reason in here and find it out. Cause or, or, you know, or uh, Linux Academy. You know, I mean, one, yeah. one or the other. Either yeah. way. Actually, know? she was. She was also. I think this whole thing has given her uh, a boost of yeah. confidence because then she was kind of giving me a hard time, teasing me that. Uh, she was going to learn Python before I do. So my wife's enrolling in Linux Academy next month. I mean, it's happening. Yeah, she's it, actually going to learn the Linux basics. Yeah, so I, think, I mean, you know, why I not? I think Angie's going to do it too. Um, right and on. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. You know, actually, this would be. A, I could just. Why don't I just take a moment right here and I'll just mention Linux Academy. Uh, that'd be a go. great spot to mention Linux Academy. They're a sponsor of the uh, Linux Unplugged program. Go over to linuxacademy.com/unplug. That'll get you the unplugged discount. That's linuxacademy.com/unplug. Go check them out. They have been sponsoring us for a while now, but I, I feel like every time we come on. The show we have something new to talk about and that's pretty exciting if you think about the rapid amount of uh, innovation and development work that is required to make that happen wow in fact i have right here let's see check out i have printed off some of the stuff they've done recently it's so much stuff that i actually just decided i'm just going to print it so that way i can just go through some of it with you from time to time and read it that it's i i really really respect what these guys are doing so let me tell you a little about linux academy they're different than all the other online educational resources it's created by people that are truly passionate about linux and they really care about open source they got together with their friends that are education education educators and developers and they've created the linux academy platform they've built it from scratch and it is custom built for us. It, it, when you go there, you recognize it is created by people that truly get this kind of thing. And the reason why I want to emphasize that is because I think that really closes the gap. That makes the big difference. That's the difference from all of the other large websites that cover all of the other areas that don't truly love Linux. They don't cover it right. They don't cover they don't closely watch the trends and see where things are going. They don't know that there's many distributions you might want to choose from. Linux Academy does. They have seven plus Linux distributions you get to choose from. That automatically adjusts the courseware. That automatically adjusts the virtual machine that spins up on demand. It comes with the machines as you need them. 
They have scenario-based labs at Linux Academy. In addition to all the other regular labs they have for servers and things like that, they'll go specific deep dives into scenarios where you receive access to scenario-based training to put you in the middle of a task common to everyday environments. You'll work in advanced lab environments while completing those scenarios from beginning to end on their live servers. As a member of Linux Academy, you also have abilities to ask their instructors. They have live streams where you can ask the instructors questions. And they've introduced this new feature just recently called Nuggets, which is a deep dive into a single topic, not necessarily part of an overall part of a training course, but like everyday tasks that you just need to know that if you know these little nuggets better and better, you get things done faster and faster. And I've taken some of these and learned, you know, there's a better way to do this than I've always done it. And it's a little bit of humble pie from time to time, but I'm always very, very, very grateful that I've learned a new way to do something or improved a way of of doing something that I've done for a long time. Linux Academy also recently announced they're going to start up an open source grant. They're going to be giving away $5,000 to a qualifying open source project. Now, to qualify, you have to be an open source project. Now, they're going to have their Founders Club members vote on which projects get the funding, but it's pretty awesome. It's, a, it's, a, it's another way they're going to give back to the open source community. So they had their big content push. A bunch of new content has hit Linux Academy. The uh, Red Hat Certified Services Administrator, the R, uh, chat room, you tell me, RHCSA. It's going to be released. Uh, it was actually just released a couple of days ago. 50 new video nuggets. You know those new nuggets I was telling you about? 50 of them just hit the site. How about that? AWS CSA Pro available for the Founders Club members, and then everybody else gets it on June 15th. DevOps Essentials is available now. That was just added as well. Lots of good stuff as well as new office hours. Tons and tons of things in the community as well. And if you want to learn things like Ruby or OpenStack, PHP, Amazon Web Services, Android development, or just how to back up your Linux box, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and take the training courses. Go do a deep dive. Download the comprehensive study guides. Listen to them offline when you're going like a podcast. Get the in-depth resources. It's training materials for the stuff that you need to use, stuff to make you better at the job that you do, or challenge yourself. That's what I use it for. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. It's a great resource. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. And like, uh, you know, like Matt said, uh, there's always a great opportunity to go in there for all kinds of folks. I, I don't get a chance to really right. give you a picture of all the ty- types of content that are available. But if you go check it out, there really is courseware for everybody that's starting sort of at the absolute beginner level, like, yep. like uh, maybe Matt's wife would be, all the way up to you know, the really hardcore stuff that's super advanced and putting you on the very edge of the <clears throat> things like Docker and and uh, uh, really, uh, just everything that uh, like I was looking at some of the recently added stuff here, um, Nginx and the Limp stack, uh, introduction to Ruby on Linux, Linux Essential certification course for just all the different certifications right there. New twenty new AWS CSA editions were just put on here. Get in GitLab from start to finish. Deploy and manage OpenStack on Ubuntu. Uh, it, it just uh, it's just these are just recent ones. <laughs> it's just really good stuff. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. Thanks, Linux. Well, it's like you said, there's something there for everyone. And I love the fact that they're able to take you by the hand at the very, very beginning. And, you know, you can know literally nothing about Linux at all. And they can take you from that point all the way up to where you're ready to be certified in something you're wanting to get into. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And there's for, for folks like me who've been in it for a long time but just want to kind of just keep tipping our toes and keeping, keeping ourselves up to date. Exactly. It's really useful. And speaking of keeping our toes in, in the waters – I've I've been experimenting with different file systems under Linux for a while. The one I really haven't spent a lot of time with because it just doesn't feel like it's time yet, but maybe it, maybe this clip is going to change my mind, is ZFS. Or as our buddy Alan says, ZFS. Ah. And Alan gave a talk at Linux Fest Northwest about OpenZFS. And he talked about a lot of things. And one of the things that seemed to grab the crowd's attention was this feature called boot volumes. And he goes into some detail about how it works and how maybe we could see it under Linux and how maybe in the future it could be integrated with Docker. 
Uh, so a lot of things that could be coming to Linux and ZFS. So uh, Alan uh, is our first take from Linux Fest Northwest. So uh, did uh, did you go into much de- much detail on boot environments? Because that seems like in a particular area that would be of interest to Linux users. Yeah, uh, they're all like, we want that. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things we do with that is, uh, so with ZFS you can take snapshots. That's pretty normal. Uh, but you can also clone them, which basically makes them a, a new file system that's yeah, writable. Not, not but for our default space. file system. We don't we don't no, have snapshots. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but there are, people are familiar with what snapshots are. You mean better file systems that have snapshots? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but people are familiar that there's such a thing. Yeah. Like even if even if it's right. actually coming from even if team, our file system doesn't have it. Right. Or specifically, you know, you're using virtualization and it yeah. can kind of pretend. Right. To yeah. Have sometimes that. I get to play like extended for as snapshots with like VirtualBox. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is what a file system feels like. Yeah. A little bit. Just a little yeah. bit. Uh, and so you basically with a clone, it allows you to like fork a file system, kind of like you fork open source, right? Yeah. So you have uh, the common. Blocks only take up space once, even right. though you're using them twice. And then the differences and then are the, the difference, Yeah. Uh, and then you have the differences take up the space. And so with that, what you can do is if you have forks of what your system looked like from different times, you we push that into the grub menu, and when you start up the, the system... What you publishes pick, it to the grub menu? Uh, uh, just a, a utility that Chris Moore wrote. Oh, okay. So it just loops over the ZFS data sets. And reads that. And, 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 and writes a grub.conf that... And then it that, figures out what menu entries to make based on... Yeah. And then, cool. and then when you boot up the system, you can be like, well, I can have the system that, like, the latest version, and I run it, and it's okay. Or I just installed an update, and it broke everything. Yeah. Uh, Let me just I can select just the other one in the menu. The one from before. Yeah. 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 And uh, he set it up so it automatically makes one for you when you start a package upgrade. Mm. Because I always forget until I'm halfway yeah. through the package upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. And then, oh, look, uh, you know, this latest package upgrade left me in dependency hell. Some app I <laughs> depend on doesn't work now. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I can just reboot and give me what my machine looked like 10 minutes ago. Nice. Uh, or, and the best part about it is with ZFS, you create uh, basically an infinite number of partitions. You can create many, many partitions. Uh, but they all share one pool of free space, right? Because usually the, the only reason we don't create a separate partition for like every directory right. on our systems is that you have to set how much space each yeah. partition gets. Yeah, and, and you, you lock yourself all, in. Yeah, your free space gets broken up all over the place and yeah. it's useless. Yeah. Well, with the, all the free space coming from one big pool... Now you can create as many as you want. And so when you're setting up these snapshots and stuff, when you're rolling back, you can say, roll back only the system, but leave my home directory alone. Oh, so all, my, all, the, all the documents are I updated are, yeah. are, are separate. Oh. But the files, and can, I, can I once again repeat that Extended 4 is not good enough? Can yeah. I just say well, that again? The, uh, can I once again repeat that every time you've tried another file system, it totally blows your system away, and I've run Extended 4 for the last, like, Seven years and never had a problem. Tell me how the Shut snapshots up, are working for you, Noah. <laughs> I don't have snapshots. My system doesn't crash, so we'll go with that. <laughs> right. right, but uh, honestly, on my development laptop, I actually have boot environments that are created on purpose where I actually have three different versions of the operating system that I can boot from. Yeah, that's cool, but, too. But sharing more of the data rather than if I did right. it like a multi-boot type right, setup. Right, yeah. Um, like, they're all sharing the same installed apps and stuff because they're sharing their package database because it's compatible. But the one thing that makes uh, this a little easier on BSD is the separation between the operating system and your applications. Yeah. Uh, FreeBSD forces all applications you install from the package repo to uh, be rooted in user local whatever. Right. So even your config files. So, you know, yeah. the config file yeah, for your user application local is user local Etsy. Yeah. So when you upgrade the operating system and it changes some default stuff, right. it changes it in ETC. Right. So you can, uh, your snapshot can have that separate. And yeah. You can because switch. Slash ETC is just yeah. the OS setting. Exactly. And so when you're uh, upgrading and, and if you roll that back, yeah. you didn't lose the change right. you made yeah. in your server application yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 
you know. And, and Linux sometimes, like apps that run with the user level privileges, they'll write their config to the home directory, so you can accomplish yeah. that a bit. Yeah. But like, yeah, overall package settings and, and like you know for your for your applications you install from like the AUR and things like that, yeah. they get mixed in with slash Etsy. Yeah. And so having that separation makes things a little bit easier uh, to yeah. kind of with finding control decide exactly what you're going to roll back and what you're not. Yeah. And that that's the the other big advantage with that over other types of, of snapshots and rollbacks is that you can roll back part of the system but not all of it uh, so that you know you don't lose the file you were the, the stuff you were doing while the and yeah um, so with that what PCBSD is taken to doing is actually uh, basically forking the file system setting up in a jail and installing all the updates and stuff in the background while you're working on your live system and then when you reboot, you just reboot in a newer version of the system. Gosh, that's but cool. Are all you your, hearing this? All your yeah. other stuff Shut is happening. And, and so you can be doing your package upgrade in the background while still running applications uh. without having a problem. Because that was a problem I used to have. It's like while I was installing the update, you know, it's downloading a button. It's going to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to be using the browser, but mm-hmm. how do you use the browser while the dependencies are being upgraded? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's get, like, oh, the browser dicey. can't launch because yeah. the dependency is a newer version yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, but having that happen in a separate one and then just switching out <laughs> underneath, right. it, it, it's kind of like uh, uh, puppy Linux and having the overlay kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, overlay of that. So it, uh, the way I look at it, and, and really, I mean, people, as, as much as it's fun to joke about it, really people should be thanking you for trying things like ButterFS and then letting it crash on you twice because then we all know where you know what the state of it. I mean, really, you're doing everyone a favor by, <laughs> by actually, I'm not, I'm not I, that, I'm being true. serious. But then, but you add to that, it, building upon that, then we look at the, this idea that if, if, if I would rather see Linux get to a point where Linux does everything well, and we can I, though all that stuff sounds really great and fancy and cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm thankful for uh, for a reliable, usable file system like EXE4 that I have sure. that I can fall back on that, that 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 I don't lose any data on. And if and when uh, Linux can adopt those things, I think it'll be really cool. Yeah, well, it's on well, PSP, uh, there, there is there is ZFS on Linux. Uh, it's a project uh, uh, from Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories. Right. And uh, while they're a little f- bit behind uh, BSD and Illumos. Uh, mostly because they started much later and they have a lot of catching up to do. But uh, their latest release, I think, is 0.6.4. It has uh, the biggest improvements, like the compression stuff, and it's it's quite stable. And uh, people are using it, and they're uh, quite happy with it. Hmm. I'm waiting for a checkbox in the installer that I can just check and says, uh, yeah. use ZFS. That, When's Debian, that coming? Ironically, Debian might be the first. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, and uh, there's a, I forget the name of the project, but there's one that's looking at uh, Docker and ZFS put together and being able to do interesting things with uh, that. I bet there is some interesting things you could do there. Now, uh, a lot of you, probably out in the audience, might have already tried ZFS into Linux, or some of you might be doing it. Now, Wimpy, didn't you say on the pre-show that you recently set up a NAS with ZFS? Just this afternoon. Oh, oh wow, that is recent. And is, I assume, Linux-based, right? It is. It's Open Media Vault 1.0, which is Debian Wheezy-based. Oh, yes, and great. That- and that has a plugin that adds ZFS support as a storage backend with uh, the management utilities to support it as well. So the OS is what, extended for, and then the data volumes are ZFS? That's right. So I've got uh, an X4 OS drive and then uh, four drives in um, ZFS pool. Huh. And how is the management UI for it? Uh I'm something of a newbie with ZFS, so I don't know how comprehensive it is, but I was able to set up what I wanted to do. So um, from a new 
to ZFS point of view, uh, it does what I need. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be stable or not, or if it'll work or if it'll fall in a heap, but it's an experiment to try it out. Do you, uh, do you recall, is it a pretty current version of ZFS that they're using? Um, it's compatible with the feature flags that are in FreeNAS 9.2. So I don't know what changed in ZFS between FreeNAS 9.2 and 9.3. Right. But if you've if you you had FreeNAS, yeah, yeah, you can find the features the way the feature flag system works is that would be that'd be true across any any system that has ZFS with those feature flags. It wouldn't just be even FreeNAS. Yeah, so I know that you can import um, uh, a a Z pool that's from FreeNAS 9.2 into this open media vault system but i don't think you can import a z pool from freenas 9.3 because hmm. the required feature flags aren't in uh, open zfs in this linux implementation yet any initial impressions on performance well i haven't done it for the performance so this is this well, is sure, going to sure. be my plex server i've really done it to um help prevent um bit rot and gray holing <laughs> so your requirements are stream the hd file fast enough yes mm-hmm. just fast enough to get downstairs to the tv sure. yeah that makes sense i'm still curious though for some reason like i'd like to know i don't know i just kind of want to get a sense of what the performance would be like under linux uh, yeah well i'm going to Oh, go ahead. I will compare that. Um, I've got two systems that are identical. One's, uh, so they're running the same OS, they've got the same hardware, same drives. Runs running on uh, LVM with XFS over the top, and the, this one's now got ZFS. And I will do some uh, sort of uh, finger-in-the-air kind of benchmarks, but performance isn't my main requirement. It's really yeah. um, about um, da- data quality is really what it's about. That, and that totally that totally does make sense. Uh, uh, and that's I mean that's why we use it on our NAS here. Uh, Kitson, is it? I don't think Kitson. It is fair to say that ZFS has no more legal concerns necessarily. Where do you get that? Well, the Debian team seemed to have analyzed it, and if it is good enough for Debian, shouldn't it be good enough for OpenSUSE or Fedora? I'm wondering how 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 did they come to this conclusion? So it appears to me that they got a consultation from either the Free Software Conservancy or the I'm not actually I don't remember actually who they got their cons. I, I remember talking about the story now, but I'm trying to remember who they got the details on. But if I recall, it essentially sounds like. Debian as a project might be able to license it or something is kind of what I was gathering. Not so much that the legal status has changed. Yeah, here it is. I'm, I'm pulling up the article on Phronics right now as we talk about it. Here it is. He says, Neil McGovern, he was, uh, he's elected as a Debian project leader, and as the former project leader was uh, stepping out, he posted his final remarks, and his, the formal, formal uh, project leader was Lucas. His final management, he said, we received legal advice from the Software Freedom Law Center. There it is, the F- Software Freedom Law Center, about the inclusion of LibDVD CSS. So that's the DVD decryption stuff, because, oh, we're all clamping at the bit for that still. And, uh, or champing, what is that? What is that? Chomping at the bit. Or, and then, of course, ZFS and Debian, which should unblock the situation in both cases and enable us to ship them in Debian soon. We've received legal advice about the inclusion, they say. That's pretty ambiguous. I don't know what the hell that means. 
Well, I think at some basic level it indicates that rather than just looking at it strictly from an engineering point of view or a software point of view, they actually got a hold of someone that has studied law and at some, some inherent level and has actually looked at it from can, you know, what is the likelihood of a yeah. successful lawsuit right. on this. That's, that's what exactly what it sounds like to me. And it sounds like uh, it's a copyright aggregation agreement with the Software Freedom Conservancy. That's where I got Software Freedom Conservancy from. Uh, the Debian Project and the Software Freedom Conservancy have now – now have an agreement that enables Debian contributors to assign copyright of their works to the conservancy. A couple of the DDs already expressed interest in some time ago, and if you're interested too, please get in contact, blah, blah, blah. So that's one thing that came in. I have no idea if that has any relation now to the ZFS, but it sounds like to me, man, I think it sounds like to you, Debian seeked out some legal advice specifically for the project themselves and got the legal advice that they could include ZFS. Not that ZFS was legal for Linux to use license-wise across the board. Right. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil, did you, have, you know, did you have something you wanted to add about the license? Yeah, just looking at the perspective that the GPL still complies with the BSD license, there's no technical reason to, like legally speaking, that is in violation of the BSD license in that case. So the common scenario in warring is mostly related to shipping by default with it and also how to make GPL not contaminate the BSD code. So to do that, you kind of have to make an exception while releasing the software on your GPL license. Mm. So I'm guessing that the these that you just mentioned, and mm-hmm. this is me guessing, mm-hmm. uh, is the assigning of to this institution allows that institution to make that um, grant Right. Uh, ability to ship with that code without GPL contaminating that code. If that makes sense. That does make sense. It's well, it makes as much sense as I think it's going to make sense to me, which is good enough. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, and then I, I know a lot of you out there that are listening right now are smashing your heads against the keyboard saying, guys, guys, guys. Oh, yeah, right. ZFS <laughs> is not BSD license. Yes, I know. Uh, but I know a lot of you out there are smashing your head against the keyboard saying, guys, I've been using ZFS on Linux for years. Uh, Jed, for example, uh, which we'll have an interview in one of our shows soon, has, has using it in large-scale production. Um, well, I'll talk more about Jed in a little bit. <clears throat> right. Z, uh, ZFS was created by Sun. It's uh, the uh, CDDL or whatever the hell that is. Um, I know you're using it. So I'd like to hear it, but if you could uh, do a post for me so that way we could get a discussion going on the Linux Action Show subreddit, that would be extremely valuable. If you've got a really awesome setup, I wouldn't mind like a – I mean I know this is asking for a lot, but like a diagram or something like that. You could post it over there just so we could take a look at it. It's linuxactionshow.reddit.com. I'd like to talk more about it just because uh, um, it's something that we're going to have to tackle here in production. I think it's something we're going to have to face at JP. So basically, it's a necessity. It's about to come about. You're going to have to like basically it, do it. But I feel like yeah. I, I feel like I have just a little bit of time to, before I have to tackle it. So I'd like to right. really, oh, I just like to get what people have to say. About yeah. it. Oh, and this would allow you to benefit from other people's experiences, their successes, yeah. and their failures. Hey, sure. we've got a, we've got a lot more coming up, including uh, the uh, Intel Minnowboard guy, which is a fascinating conversation. But first, I want to tell you about our second sponsor, and that's Ting. Go over to linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. Why linux.ting.com? Well, I mean, what are you going to put windows.ting.com in your browser? <laughs> Don't. Why would you ask me a silly question like that? Oh no, uh, linux.ting.com. It supports this show, and it's going to get you twenty five dollars off your first device. And if you already have a Ting compatible device, and you probably do, well, then they'll give you a twenty five dollars in service card. And that paid for more than my first month. My first month of what Ting? What is Ting? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Ting is truly finally 
mobile that makes sense, and nobody can beat them. People, others have tried. There, you got people that think they're the uncarrier, and as long as you wear a pink shirt and a leather jacket, that's all you need to sell phones, apparently. And then other people think that they can just roll into the <clears throat> wireless industry, but yet still fail to understand that people don't want to have to pay per device. I got too many devices. See, if you keep making all these cool things, I'm going to buy them, like tablets and watches and phones and multiple phones. I got too many phones, and I'm not going to pay for data and a contract for every single stinking device. I'm not crazy. So I switch to Ting. I go to linux.ting.com. <clears throat> no contract, no early termination fee. Yeah, no contract. You only pay for what you use. It's a flat $6 for the line. 6 bucks. So I've got three phones. I pay $6. No, that crazy SOP, he's got like five or six phones on there. And, you know, and, and if you're a small business, you've got more than 10 lines, it's seriously a no-brainer because it's only $6, and then you just pay for your usage. Well, I'm on Wi-Fi all the time, so no bigs. I hardly have any data usage, and I hardly have any minutes used up. So for three lines, I'm paying like $40 a month. It's absolutely outrageous. They just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add them up, and that's what you pay. And then... It's really as simple as that. If you have any questions, you ever get stuck, you call them 1-855-TING-FTW, and a real human being answers the phone. I've never needed to do that, though. Why? Because their dashboard freaking rocks. Nobody has anything on the Ting dashboard. You can do everything you need, including disabling devices, tra- uh, transferring devices, activating a device, um, setting up alerts, all these kinds of features. It's really nice because if you don't need a device for a little bit, you can just turn it off. That's really great. Like if you go get one of those MiFi access points. If you don't need it for a little bit, you just turn it off. And you can do it right there in the Ting dashboard. Go to linux.ting.com. You get a $25 discount. If you have a GSM or CDMA-compatible device that works on Ting, because they take both now, they'll give you a $25 service credit, and that's pretty awesome because that paid for more than my first month. And I got a couple of devices you might want to check out. Uh, they have a whole range, but I just picked a couple out here. Um, <clears throat> first one is this uh, – I, I just I, – I can't believe they're going to – I figure this is going to go fast. But if you go to linux.ting.com, you can get an unlocked Moto G for $91. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. That's, that's, like, <laughs> that's an amazing Android cool. phone. It's like one of the, it's, I think it's running an Android 4.4 later. Uh, and it, it's a it's well-built phone. People really like the Moto G. It's very well-reviewed. $91, no contract. Pay for what you use. That's you own oh. that right there. That's not the contract price. That $91 is you own it. That's just a crazy, outrageous, great deal. You can also get the Ting GSM SIM card and put in anything that takes a GSM SIM for $9. And then it's just $6 after that. Uh, go check out all the great devices. <clears throat> they got everything from a $47 feature phone all the way up to the Nexus 6. They got it all. And on their blog, they also have tips like saving battery in Android 5.0. <clears throat> very, very helpful. Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to saving battery stuff, anytime I can get tips on that, mm. oh, that means yeah. I oh, have yeah. an opportunity not to deal with that. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> All right. Go over to linux.ting.com, check them out. And if you have any questions, give them a call. 1-855-TING-FTW. I've been using them for, I'm going over like, I think I'm like two years, about two years and two months in, two years and three months in or so. So I'm about $2,200 in on my total savings by switching to Ting. Yeah. $2,200. So go check how much you would save. Click that savings calculator, linux.ting.com. Click that savings calculator. Thank you very much, Ting, for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Woohoo! All right, guys. So uh, I want to get into this Intel Minnow interview. It's very interesting because I think we get very excited because the Raspberry Pi is very affordable. Um, we get very excited because there's a lot going on in that space with ARM processors. There's a lot of different boards to choose from. It's not just the Raspberry Pi. I'm going to admit, though, 
the comfort of x86 is appealing to me in this space. If I could get that same form factor and that same power savings but run my x86 stuff, that appeals to me. So when John sat down from Intel to talk about the Minnow board, I was excited to see what they have and what he thought the reason was that not a lot of people are talking about them compared to all of the other ARM-based projects yeah. out yeah. there. <clears throat> so we have John here. And John, you said you were at the Amino Board project. Yeah, I'm with um, I'm with the Amino Board uh, project. So the Amino Board's a, a, an open hardware platform that's being jointly done between Intel and some industry partners yeah. to uh, kind of put a, a, an Intel face into the in the embedded world. We've got, I mean, if you look at the embedded world and everything, it, it's dominated by ARM. ARM, yeah, yeah, and and you know from the Intel perspective. We don't exactly make it easy to work with us. I mean, if you're mm. going to buy like a million chips from us, we help you out all over the place. But we don't really have, or we haven't had a lot of really good open hardware platforms that people can just kind of pick up with and tinker. And thus was born the Middleboard yeah. Project. So, yeah. so one of the things that I really know, I, I really liked was I was at LinuxCon uh, two years yeah. ago, and you guys had a Middleboard. Uh, demo and they gave everyone a minnow board and let us actually set the whole thing like unbox it oh, yeah. play with it and we got to make LEDs flash cool. and, like and here's the thing is it sad that like this is the difference between between and I'm going to go there. I'm going to say the difference between <laughs> a traditional Mac users and traditional Linux users, and that is that that most most people that 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 appeal to that Apple ecosystem want just something handed to them and to work. And I got this minnow board, and I was like blown away. I'm like, I could hook this up to my freaking garage door, yeah, yeah. SSH yeah. into my garage door <laughs> yeah. when I get home. Yeah. Like that makes no sense to most Mac users because they would say, well, that that's silly. Why would you just not want to push the button and then the garage door will open? I'm like, but it's much cooler to do it over SSH. And that's something that you guys, you know, you guys really nailed. And that that was hands down my favorite exhibit that year. Nice. Yeah, actually, we're giving away. Uh, um, we, we, we gave some of these away at ELC, but we're giving them away here. We've got these little uh, proto uh, boards called the the Tadpole, mm. and they um, they've just got a little RGB LED on them. That you know on the minnow board, if you hook it up, it just you know you can twiddle an RGB LED from GPIO. And that's know, really cool. Yeah, and so we're giving those away here, and we're just we're, we're trying to make the embedded world a little more approachable. I mean. We, we can run stock Linux distributions on the Minnow board. Yeah. So, I mean... What's the price range on the Minnow board? Is that is How competitive are they there? So, uh, we're a little bit more expensive. We're $149 for a dual core with 2 gigs of RAM. Dual core x86. x64-bit x86. And you're also getting Intel HD graphics, um, gigabit Ethernet, USB 3, oh, PCI gigabit Express. Ethernet, really? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've got... We've got a lot of the same kind of low-speed I.O. that uh, similar boards in the market have. Yeah. But what we're really bringing to the table on top of just the x86 story is we've got all the high-speed I.O. that you would expect you yeah. know, from our kind of I could chip. actually use that in a production environment with that kind of, like, yeah. I mean, gigabit Ethernet for me has always sort of been the biggest uh, pain point on a lot of these boards because we're doing such with such large data sets and things like that that the 100 megabit limitation is a killer for us. Oh, yeah. And the fact that x86 being x86 based means I can take advantage of all of the tools we're already using in house that are built for x86. Oh yeah, no, I mean I'm fundamentally running the exact same operating system on my laptop as I am on uh, an embedded platform. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, admittedly, that's not the way most people think of it as an embedded platform. But as CPUs are getting bigger and more powerful in the embedded space, these really are becoming the PCs that were were around, you know, yeah. even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable, um, and I think of like uh, like computers for our kids now and things like that, and uh, giving them something they could tinker with, something that's a little lower cost, but also still very capable, so that way they they have a good experience. and And systems like this are perfect; they really fit into that. And as com- as computers are becoming more sealed up and more consumer grade, 
it's so nice to see this this area sort of opening up again for for people that might want to start learning tinkering again. Oh yeah, well I mean you nailed it uh, when you said that you know PCs and everything are getting more sealed up. You don't have access to even a you know simple GPIO on your laptop. Yeah. I mean there, there, there's no room for it. I mean the best you're getting is USB. Right. Which don't get me wrong, USB is fantastic, but yeah. just making an LED blink from an operating system or even from you know just a, a controller. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like the operating system is sitting right on top of the hardware. Like yeah. It's just right there. Yep. Now, one of my, you said you're giving some of these minnow boards away? We're not giving the minnow boards away here. We're giving uh, uh, the Tadpole. which is Tadpole. Which is just, like I said, it's a, just a, a, like an RGB LED in a very small proto space. Actually, if you go out to minnowboard.org, there's a link on the front uh, talking about the Tadpole. It'll take you to our wiki. And it's got the build instructions right there, and you can see the finished uh, item. So uh, what do you think about uh, this trend? I'm seeing, like, everybody, a lot of ARM compute sticks. They're like, you know, the yep. entire computer on an HDMI stick. I see in, uh, I think I saw something from Intel in this regard, but this seems to be an area that's really, really just taking off. What do you think about these in comparison to sort of the more traditional boards and stuff like that? So, um, the, the, the compute stick kind of things, I mean, uh, you're probably talking about the, the I'm going to forget its name, but Intel just yeah. um, uh, rele- or is releasing one, and right. um, there's been some press about it in the last couple of days. Right. And um, they're, they're really great, uh, um, at least the article that I was reading last night, they, they really hit the, um, the nail on the head with that one, which was, it's great for just giving you an intermediate step to just plug into your TV. It's a little bit more powerful than what you'd expect out of, you know, like a Chromecast or something else that you would plug in. But it's not quite a full PC, right. so it, it right. sits in and a nice And at the end of the day, ground. isn't it just another sealed up sort of consumer device yep. that maybe has its purpose, but it's not, it's sort of limited in its full scope. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so if people want to learn more about this kind of stuff, what would be like some good resources they could go check out if they're watching at home or something like that? So for the Minnowboard, go to minnowboard.org. There's a, a link right at the top for our wiki, and it, that's got all of our tech specs. Um, for the small board computers in general, I mean, they're all over the place. J- just do a quick Google search. And, yeah. Um, if I could remember the name of the, the, the little Intel stick. that I know. I yeah, was trying to remember, too, because I just <laughs> talked about it like a week, or, a week or so ago on the news. And it's a pretty neat little device. And the one that ships with Linux looks pretty good. And yeah. No, I, I could see it working even as a, as a receptionist computer hooked up to a monitor yep. or uh, you know somebody that just needs a basic web browser hooked up to just an LCD screen and yep. a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse in their home. Yep. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Uh, so, I, but I, I find more of the board stuff more fascinating for my for my you know tinkering kind of nature. Yeah. No. I mean, you're definitely not going to tinker with you know some of these things that are just plugging yeah. into HDMI yeah. ports. And I might watch a YouTube video on it, but <laughs> that's probably about <laughs> it. Well, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. No. It was great to chat with you. And so, do you are you a free agent roaming, or do you guys have a booth here? No, we've got a booth here, and I've got a, a talk this afternoon where I'm going to oh, okay. network boot a computer over the internet. Awesome. Really. So I, I'm. I'm over uh, the internet. I, I, well, I, You're I, hoping I'm, that connection is going to work, huh? Well, I was going to say, I, I am, I'm uh, taunting the demo yeah. gods yeah. on that one. Let, and let, then. Let, me, let me just uh, let me assure you, this is the week to try something crazy at the last possible moment, <laughs> yeah, and it will so succeed. Far. So far, yeah. We've, I was going to say. It, we've it's, been lucky. Yeah, it's been... We'll, Down we'll, to the wire. We'll see. I, yeah. it's, network booting a computer off of a server in um, California will be... I, I've done it to England before, and I, I, that one did not go well. But, oh, really? Yeah. It's always trickier when you're at a conference, too. Yeah, conference internet is always yeah. Um, yeah. special. That's, and, of course, <laughs> with my laptop, I've like, I had to bring my USB Ethernet yeah. adapter. Got to be wired. Oh, that, yeah. That seems to solve a lot of yep. it. Yep. Nope. I'll be a VM yeah. on stage yeah. over Wi-Fi. This <laughs> Oh, boy, and well, then, good luck. Uh, <laughs> and then tomorrow we've got to talk on the middle board uh, as an open hardware platform. Cool. So. 
I'm really glad to hear that you guys are pushing that area. So it's really cool to hear you know, out here talking about it and getting the word out because I think uh, it was a little late to the game. Or I don't know if late to the game is the right word, but at least in terms of um, knowledge share, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And so uh, it's, I think it's pretty compelling, especially for Linux users because yep. it's just slam it right on there and you're good yep. to go and yep. you have a full-fledged Linux box. Yep. yep. Well, thank you, sir. Yep. No, thank Very you. good chatting with you. Yep. Good luck and ha- good luck with the talk and enjoy the rest of the fest. No, thank you. I uh, wonder if anybody in the mumble room has any experience with any of these Intel Mino boards. I know Noah picked one up. Uh, is anybody in the mumble room experienced with any of these, like, uh, x86 small boards from Intel that uh, look like they might be interesting? The only place I've seen it was in conferences. Maybe I should get one and see what they can do. Might be kind of fun. Yeah. Could be kind of a fun toy to play with. And it, it could be... Uh, who knows? Who knows what we could discover? All right. Well, uh, we've got uh, an interview with the guy who... Uh, who was sort of core at getting uh, the that variant of Wine that made it possible to get Netflix to play under Linux. You remember, before we got the HTML5 playback under Linux, there was that stopgap where you could do like this funky way to get a Silverlight environment and do all this stuff and get like the next the Netflix desktop PPA. And remember all this, Matt? Pipelight or pipe? <laughs> there, several, you know, there were several iterations of it, and it yeah. turns out that uh, behind the scenes it was – Pretty heated what was going on, and it turns out also that Silverlight is a huge piece of garbage, oh, and that man. one of the reasons that we got HTML5 native streaming of Netflix is because the project that was getting this to work was discovering fundamental flaws in Silverlight that they believe Microsoft never wanted to see the day of light. So I'll play that interview now. So tell me uh, where Netflix was a couple years ago and how you felt about it. (laughs) Well, so a couple years ago, we didn't have Netflix at all on Linux except through VMs. And uh, yeah, it's very true. uh, The the, one of the big problems with that, of course, is the performance issues. And uh, for me, actually, at the time, uh, I was doing a little bit of playing around with it. But uh, uh, the thing that really drove me to trying to get Netflix working on Linux was that I was really pissed off at the administration at my university. I was trying to get my PhD at the time. Uh-huh. And I just needed a break so that I wouldn't want to murder them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, I uh, hear you. So I just kind of sat down for a week and uh, started trying to diagnose how Silverlight worked. Uh-huh. And was just kind of poking around at the things that it did on, on the system and discovering all sorts of really crazy stuff that they did that I probably shouldn't talk about because oh really yeah it for would allow you specifically? For yeah Silverlight for Silverlight specifically yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it would tell you how to get the the raw video data right that doesn't surprise me and, and wouldn't that be a heyday yeah so for obvious reasons I was not trying to get the raw video data from the Netflix feeds I was trying to get it to work properly on Linux yeah. so that, yeah, that sure. I could give the community something right. and not have Microsoft breathing down everyone's throats and want and want somebody's head right yeah. exactly so uh, the 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 thing that was really challenging with that is that they've put a lot of stuff into it to try and detect anything that you could possibly be doing I bet. to see what it's up to. And so there's all sorts of things that it's doing in the background that actually have nothing to do with the video feed. Really? Like it's just trying to like figure out... Like, like whether or not you're trying to interfere with it. So there's some things What's that are What's an actually, example of something I might check for? Well, so like one of the things that it does is that it has in the background the debug helper running. And part of that is for reporting problems that happen with the software. Okay. But part of it is that if that process dies, which happens when you try to attach a debugger, 
then the rest of it shuts down. Ah. And so even if you didn't start it running a debugger, if you attach one later, then it knows and says, oh, you know, it's time for me to say goodbye to you. Something's going on here. I'm not even going to risk it. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, who knows how Microsoft actually debugs their own software in that case, but I'm sure that they have some sort of... Maybe they don't. That would explain a few things. It would would explain (laughs) a few things, especially some of the weird video acceleration stuff that that Silverlight does. It it uses some really old APIs, and and one of the things that's just crazy to me is that the, uh, uh, the key that they use for all the drivers is a 1,024-bit key. So, like, so not the, the driver key. The yeah, driver yeah. key is better, but the yeah. master key they use to sign all of the drivers is, like, a really? ri- ridiculously small key. So what would be the point of that? Like, Well, they made the key in, like, the forever? 2000s, yeah, 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 just and they thing, yeah. never updated it. Yeah. And it's actually the same key that they're using for OPM now. So the, the COP, the old system, uses the same key now for OPM because it needs to be backwards compatible. Right. And so, like... Oh, hmm. It hmm. wouldn't really take all of that much time on a supercomputer right. to figure out so the master a soft key. Spot there. There's a whole bunch of them, to be honest. But like, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Like, some of the so uh, you may be aware that we actually kind of created a project for staging wine changes as a result of some of that work. That I wasn't sure if it was or as a result, but I noticed it kind of happened. Yeah. So that that was. Uh, before he goes on into the uh, to the wine stuff, uh, I thought it was his comment there. He's basically saying, "Look, there is this crazy soft spot right here in Silverlight that you could take advantage of if you if you knew where to poke. If you rented, oh, I don't know, uh, some GPUs uh, on a uh, server somewhere and on an Amazon, you might be able to start working on this. You might be able to crack it." Uh, he, I think, I think that guy knows some major secrets. And if it turns out EB in the chat room was uh, playing Call of Duty with him that night, didn't even know. And that guy's wife uh, kicked EB's butt in Call of Duty. So he's a hell of a Call of Duty player, apparently, as well. Uh, I want to get into, uh, he gets into how they've made, how they sort of changed the wine project and how eventually it sort of cascaded into uh, Netflix getting a native HTML5 playback and the changes that needed to make to the HTML5 spec. Uh, before we do that, though, I'll mention uh, DigitalOcean, our last sponsor of this week's show. DigitalOcean is really making this show possible. I tell you what, not only from their support by supporting Linux Unplugged and by you, of course, out there by using our promo codes. But the technology now, just to synchronize these edits that I made, all happening now under Linux, all being synced through uh, own cloud droplets uh, that are powered up on DigitalOcean. It's so slick to have the complete workflow from beginning to end for this entire Linux fest all done under Linux. These these interviews that you're playing that I'm playing back right now that you're watching. These are edited. Well, I should back up. So first, they're recorded on a Linux rig. Then they're synced up to a DigitalOcean droplet for offline storage. We had a 100 megabit upload at Linux Fest Northwest. They rocked us with a great connection. And so we were able to send footage up to our droplet in near real time, store it off-site, which is brilliant because we're shipping that rig uh, back to uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, so Noah can continue to work on it. So we wanted to get all of the footage off it and safe immediately. We took advantage of that 100 megabit connection. And, of course, our DigitalOcean droplet's rocking fast. So we sent all the footage up to the DigitalOcean droplet almost as, uh, as it was done. We just delayed it a little bit because we weren't in any rush and we didn't need to consume a ton of bandwidth. 
it goes up there. It then sinks back down to my primary workstation here at the studio that runs Arch. I've got Lightworks and Avid Mux ready to go on that thing. I bring all of that footage in. I had to remux all of the footage into a new container, which don't worry what that means, but I was able to do that very quickly because it was already sitting on my file system when I sat down. I saved the final encoded versions to another folder in OwnCloud, which then sunk to my Bonobo, and I'm playing them back here. I never once had to sneaker net any files. I never lost any data. It was always backed up to my DigitalOcean droplet, and the entire workflow all happened using open source free software. And DigitalOcean was the back-end engine that makes it all possible. And when you go over to DigitalOcean and you use our promo code Unplugged, you'll get a $10 credit. Go see what you can do for free for two months with a $5 rig. I'm doing this with a $5 rig. Seriously, it's amazing what you can do up at DigitalOcean. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And the pricing is nuts. It starts at only $5 a month. It'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And that's a great thing because that means I'm never worrying about this. All of these data, all these huge files we're moving around, we're not going to break a terabyte with this stuff because we're recording them in a very high resolution, uh, very high bitrate X264 file. They're large, but they're not that large. And I never have to worry about it with that terabyte of transfer. It's so nice to have that peace of mind. And for $5 a month, it's totally nuts. And if you use the promo code Unplugged, then you get the $10 credit. Oh, my gosh. Through two months and you get it for free. I mean, it's a great deal. It's super powerful. It could probably really fundamentally change the way you work. It's changed and improved the way I work. I feel like DigitalOcean is my data center infrastructure on demand. They have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, Germany, and London. And their interface is so impressive. And I love that aspect of it because it doesn't mean we waste a lot of time tinkering with stuff. We get in, we set it up, we're done. And it's very intuitive, so I know anyone on the team can manage it, no problem. And the best part is they have an API that lets me take it even further if we ever want to automate some of this stuff. And I hear from people in the audience that do it all the time. And there's tons of great apps created by the community to take advantage of that API. That that control panel is really the icing on top of the entire stack. It all starts with Linux and KVM virtualization, which is a great virtualizer. I think KVM's the best. They use SSD, so that way you get super high I.O. That's awesome because then they have it connected to Tier 1 bandwidth at the best data centers in the world. And the entire package is then managed with this. Then they have some of the best communities on, uh, tutorials on the Internet. Between Arch and DigitalOcean, like some of the best documentation on the Internet is being created. It's really good stuff. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged. That keeps, digital, that keeps Linux Unplugged on the, on the air because it tells DigitalOcean, hey, I heard about it on Linux Unplugged. So you get the $10 credit, which means you don't have to have a credit card to try out DigitalOcean, and you support this show. You keep us going. When you use the promo code Unplugged. go try them out. If from anything from developing an application to your back-end infrastructure, DigitalOcean can handle it. Trust me. I've done it. DigitalOcean.com. You guys, no matter what load I put it under, have never disappointed me. DigitalOcean, D-O, unplugged. All right, so let's go back to our interview, uh, and I want to hear a little bit more about how these changes impacted the Wine Project. Kind of a, of a result of that stuff, and that some of those changes weren't something that uh, AJ wanted to bring into main wine. Uh, and so what we said is, okay, well, yeah. what if we set up this thing where we can kind of make these things better so that then eventually they can be included? And... Uh, part of that exploration, we started going around and trying to ask the driver manufacturers, okay, is there something that you can do for us that then we can support some of these more advanced features yeah. of Silverlight and in- integrate that into the driver? Right. And the answers to that were very interesting. Uh, 
mostly in the form of like no comment things. But we got somebody off of the record to tell us, oh, well, there's actually an agreement you sign when you create these drivers that Microsoft signs off on that you will not make it work on other operating systems. What? Yeah. So apparently, so like the reason that you can't have the HD video through even what we've done. And that's all shrouded in NDAs, I'm sure. Right, yeah. Is that we can't make the cop work on Linux because we can't access the part of the driver we would need to access to do that legally. And so we would have to give you a substitute of what the driver has to do, which involves you having a driver key, which you can actually get a hold of if you try. But then it becomes, you know, kind of like the issue with DVDs and that kind of thing. Like, then you're distributing one of these numbers that's supposedly a special number. Yeah, that has special legal privileges. Yeah. And so there's, like, all of this stuff around that. And, you know, a lot of the people that are on our forums are like, oh, well, we just want to be able to watch our HD videos. And it's like... I'm sorry, we have the stuff. We just can't give it to you. Like, if we did, then Microsoft would kill us. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting uh, thing to sort of pull the ru- or pull the carpet or carpet. What is it? The curtain. Pull the curtain back and realize there's there's a lot going on here that you never even realize as somebody that just sits back and watches the Netflix thing. To think you always think it's these technical hurdles or things like that, and it's like, no, here's the exact spot, and if we could just get access to that, but there's this legal barrier that prevents it. That seems like that's only going to stick for so long until eventually somebody somewhere decides they're not scared by that. Well, so one of the things with that, and actually one of the reasons we haven't put a lot of effort into that recently, is that uh, the inclusion of uh, the HTML5 stuff into Chrome that allows you to watch it in Chrome. Yeah, yeah. the DRM stuff, extensions or whatever. One of the things that we kind of heard through the grapevine is that the reason that that exists is that we got things working through Silverlight, and they know that there's problems with Silverlight, and so... They wanted to take the pressure off. They wanted to take the pressure off that somebody might go in and spend And it's like all things, right? Like, it solves a few other problems for them as well, so it's like, that... You can't deny the timing of it all. Oh, yeah. It does seem like it lines up. Yeah, so that that was one of the things we, you know, were poking around some of our driver friends and being like, does this have something to do with us? And they're like, yes, this has something to do with you. (laughs) Like, whoa, somebody noticed. They're paying attention. Did you have that moment where you're like, oh, they are watching? Well, I mean, we've always tried to be very careful with the information that we give out. Mm -hmm. We want it to be something that, like, they don't shut down. So So you're always, uh, from the onset, kind of aware that they're probably going to find out. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, it's a big deal for them and for the movie industry if that system were to break. Yes. And so... It was something that we were always very cognizant of. It kind of seems like they got lucky then, in a way, because I think they got lucky that somebody was even cognizant of it, because other people would have just been focused more on the free the movies. Yeah. And they would have gotten in trouble. It wouldn't have worked long term, and it probably wouldn't have sort of encouraged the kind of larger scale change that brought the, uh, you know, more native playback using HTML5 extensions. I mean, if if the group had gone about it, if your group had gone about it, if you'd gone about it the wrong way, it could have blown it. Well, yeah, and, and that that was really a, a big concern initially was that even though we had done all the right things, it, it's still a question of, yeah. like... even doing all the right things, yeah. You can still get in big trouble. Right, and, and so, <laughs> you know, one of the things, you know, now that I have a PhD, it's actually a little bit harder because, you know, it's like I'm a researcher. Like, I uh, I, I can yeah, disclose yeah. all yeah, sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And, That's you know, amazing, yeah. And so, but, you know, wh- when you do that, what you want is for the community to have that that yeah. capability and not for them to take it away because at right. any time they could just change the system and take it sure. away sure. and and that's not what you want them to do that's right yeah because then it kind of it means you only bought yourself time really right yeah and then they catch up yeah 
And so, what's the point? But I mean, now that you know, kind of Silverlight is headed out the door, and you know, it's pretty much only used in Europe now for for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like apparently, the Amazon service still uses it in Europe, even though like they have HTML5 here in the U.S. And I know some sports events still use it, but yeah. I mean, even Microsoft themselves seem to be pulling back from Silverlight. Yeah. So, but uh, like, I was actually on a plane the other day, and they used Silverlight for the video streaming, and I was like, you know, I wonder if I can get it to run on my laptop, and it's like, oh, sure enough, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was on Southwest. And, really? And, How did you get it? Well, I mean, I just downloaded the oh, the, oh, the, the whole Silverlight file, and yeah. Oh, so it's their web interface. Yeah. So, jeez. Oh, and so I was able to watch, you know, the movies on the plane because. Yeah. The silver light was working properly, at least as far as you know, it can tell. <laughs> That's so, so funny. But, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think they, they they Microsoft made a bold bet, and they tried to make they wanted to make I think they wanted to make silver Silverlight an entire runtime environment. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they definitely did. Yeah, it, it was, and it's really clear in the way that it's architected that yeah, it was going to be their .NET for the internet. Right, and it just you know the the world did not want another plugin based thing. No, it, we, were, we moved past it. Well, and all the security issues involved with it, I think people were kind of done with it because. And Microsoft yeah. wasn't, you know, they weren't in the same position they are now, and it wasn't. It was like, oh, it's a, it's a flash competitor. It's Microsoft's version. They're trying to come in, and they just people were not receptive to it. So it was a big yeah. like that that whole thing. That seems like you know over the history of our show, watching all that Netflix stuff unravel, and just getting to the point where yes, it is now mm-hmm. possible to get Netflix working. Yeah, it's a hu- it was, was it huge. was a huge step forward. Yeah, you know, it's like that and Steam. Are the like almost in the entire history of Linux are like the two biggest on the desktop, things. That, yeah. yeah, right. That have two of that yeah. just hit, and it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this on Linux. Yeah, it still blows me away when I start Netflix or start Steam. Yeah, like, and I then st- it, I still have moments where I'm like, wow. And then of course uh, there is the uh, there is of course uh, April 24th, which was the first day that uh, you know we live streamed from we Linux live streamed <laughs> using OBS software and yeah. a uh, last minute built Linux rig. Yes, that has not crashed once. I might add. <laughs> that is very impressive. That's- Believe me, when I tell you that this was a last-minute job, that, like, the 11th... People talk about the 11th hour. No, we're, we are at the 11th hour in the 59th minute. Like, I mean, it's, I mean like, it, it, is, it is... We woke up. We woke up. I came to the studio. He, had, he hadn't even seen the, 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 the box, which, to some degree, actually implies a certain amount of trust on, on, your, on your end because he came in. He, he went to bed the night before just... Assuming that that he was like, well, I, I trust you guys. I'm sure you'll give me a solution in the morning. And to to my credit, we and and Alan's credit, we had it done. And so he walked in, and like I was about ready to pack it up, and he's like, well, um, <clears throat> could I see it work? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, oh yeah, 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 we could do that. I suppose. Yeah. So um, so we did that. And we I showed him for like 30 seconds, and then from that we packed up, and that that is essentially what made the decision. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, it works. So it was not. It was not. It's something we want to do for a long time. It, it, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're constantly doing that, right? You're constantly looking. You're saying, this is what I need to do. What projects are out there? And We've said it's closed for a long time. Yeah. but, but you still knew, not fully there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it's kind of a hacked together solution. But, and mm-hmm. the, the other thing, too, that I think sometimes gets lost is people think, oh, Chris isn't aware of OBS. Chris isn't aware. No, Chris is fully aware of OBS. Chris <laughs> has installed OBS yeah, and yeah. tried OBS and realized that it, it wasn't quite there yet. And I looked at the published date for OBS was two days ago. So if we'd have tried it one day earlier, it probably wouldn't have worked. Wow. Yeah. Well, one of of the things that I've seen with a lot of people is that usually for an individual, there's one thing. Yeah. There's really just one thing. Tell me about it. Yeah. And 
it's different for everybody. Yeah, Everybody's got their one thing. A lot of people with right. Netflix, though. And, and, and sometimes, it, sometimes it's this crazy, it's this crazy like side thing. It's some program you haven't even heard of, yeah. but they cannot live without it. Right. And then that makes it all the more difficult because, yeah. like for instance, I had there was a girl that we were switching to Linux. She was a, she was a college student. And we were swapping it, and she used the what was the Microsoft uh, Zoom, the Microsoft Zoom, and they had a media manager for specifically yeah. for the Zoom, yeah. which I had never used, and. To date, I have never met another person that has ever used it, right? So I don't think it's real popular. I think that iTunes by far and above yeah, has yeah, the yeah. advantage. Yet she liked the way the Zoom thing worked. And then Microsoft, in traditional Microsoft fashion, had all of their stupid WMAs that were all protected that wouldn't yep. convert and play on oh, Linux. Yeah, right. And it was just it, it just it just made my job that all all the harder. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I think that the Wine project is really important. And I know a yes. lot of community members feel differently about that, but Man, for people that just their one thing is some piece of commercial software that's yep. only available for Windows, mm-hmm. like that is the only way that we're ever going to get those people to switch. Huge. Yeah, yeah, I and there's, agree. And there's, it's so great for uh, legacy applications that will never, ever be ported. Uh, there's applications that we use in media production that's like, we just need this one program and we can do the whole thing under Linux. And, and thankfully, yeah. thanks to Wine, we're able to do it. So I and some of it is, are extremely complicated. Like some of them are. 3D capture of the desktop, compress it to an H.264 signal, transmit it over the network to a receiver, and we're doing that under Wine. You know, here's where I come down on Wine. I come down on it like this. I am glad Wine exists. I like the fact that Wine exists. I'm even more happy that certain things run better under Wine than, than under Windows itself, but I am saddened that we have to have it. I am saddened that that people will only write applications for Windows and thus we need a translation layer to get that to Linux. But I agree that, you know, that. and, and, and the other thing is when you're moving people to Linux, if you try to just rip the rug out and put a new rug down, you're going to fail. You have to baby step people into it. And part of that process is, and this is why I, I kind of separate from, from a, lot of, of, a lot of the free and open source guys, is let's get everyone on Linux first, then we can worry about uh, free uh, open source, and then we can worry about true Libra software. Right. But when we try to go from this extreme from proprietary, just everything works and it's being controlled from a company, all the way to a, a, a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, the experience is so poor and so drastic, and and in, in a short amount of time, I think it causes problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I've seen before a lot of times where people are like, oh well, you know, I want my Visual Studio tools, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. I mean, we have Eclipse. Eclipse does a lot of the similar stuff, mm-hmm. but if you've become familiar with the Visual Studio workflow, then yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're asking for people to make. A multiple disruptive steps at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly right. Multiple yeah. disruptive steps. Yeah. I'm stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that was a really fascinating chat with that guy. And I never really thought about how um, closely they had to walk that legal line. Mm-hmm. And um, if they had blown that whole uh, wine and Netflix thing, we might not have ever gotten in the uh, native playback that we have now. Which, for better or for worse, I guess. But, yeah. Um, that was a pretty tight line, I guess. Never really appreciated that. Well, definitely seems like they walked not only a tight line, but they were able to do so with restraint and finesse and still get the result that everybody wanted because that's really tough when you're dealing with all that kind of legalese. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I agree. Per uh, per the chat room's request, uh, we can fire off uh, a single uh, shot of uh, it is uh, negative in the freedom dimension. We can. Or how about a special, <laughs> we'll do this, a value is negative. How about that? There you and go. A value right. of this is negative. There you go, chat room, based on your request. Uh, Mumble Room, uh, did you guys, uh, anybody want to throw out the, the one app that finally had to uh, come over before they could switch to Linux on their desktop? Uh, I thought that was an interesting comment they made where uh, sometimes Wine enables that one application. And uh, I remember for me, it was Outlook. 
back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was able to, you know, because mm. Evolution wasn't cutting it for me, and oh, I had yeah, to have no. Exchange Integration for my job. So it was Outlook. Oh, Z3 RQ7 in the set in the chat room says an MMO. Yeah, that's not surprising. Which one do you want to say? Z3 <laughs> was it WoW? Uh, you know, I still use Wine to play Stow today from time to time. Um, so Wine, 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 I think has helped a lot of us switch to Linux. Uh, Wimpy, I wanted to. Yeah, go ahead, Wimpy. Yeah, my my last Windows computer was finally ousted when I could run the utilities to configure the scaler and the amplifier in the home cinema at home mm. using using those tools under wine and um a usb to serial port adapter in order to configure that stuff and that was when i finally <laughs> wow. kicked the last remaining windows computer into touch yeah uh uh it, wow is z3s yeah yeah you know it's funny wimpy there are things like there are little things like that like uh like I had a little device that I required Windows to do firmware updates for a while when I finally got rid of that device. And I was like, oh, don't need that anymore. And it's just to slowly check things off the list. And it was all years ago now. Um, so we have a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network called Women's Tech Radio. And one of the hosts on there, she, her name is Paige. And she sat down uh, quite a bit on the live stream, had a lot of really interesting stuff. She works uh, heavily in uh, open source development. She talked a lot about doing angel development for uh, small projects that need angel development instead of angel funding. They'll do angel development. She talked about all of those things. But uh, her and Noah, I grabbed a little bit from a conversation on the stream that her and Noah had that I thought was particularly interesting because I've never really thought about it uh, being a, uh, a white male. I never really had to. Uh, but Paige mentions, and Noah kind of talks about it, uh, they're both uh, coming from a minority standpoint, about how a, a minority has a bigger chance to make a huge impact in open source than they do when uh, dealing with commercial software development. And they talk a little bit about that, and it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. People are offended by that stuff. But you, the nice thing about open source is it doesn't necessarily have to be a core member of the group that can do something like that. Yeah. If, if, if just one person is, is bothered by it, Hey, listen, that's the great thing. They can just open it up. They can go edit that stuff. Yeah. Um, and they can push those changes and then they can be accepted, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of the things that is so powerful about open source is it has that community component. And, you know, I've been doing kind of some sound bites here at the conference and it, it's the most common thing that people are saying, like, oh, I'm into Linux and open source even as a woman because of the community. And mm. I think that's a great point that, um, yeah. you know, not to throw stones, but like trying to get involved as a woman in the .NET community was right. painful. Like um, they're just—it's very much an older crowd. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of dudes, and those—and it's very much that that culture of what I know is what I'm worth. So mm-hmm. they don't want to share, um, and never mind share with a girl. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really is. It's—it's it's unfortunate that it's still there. And it, I'm not saying that all .NET developers course, are like this, yeah. right? But uh, it's—it's it's it was the experience so. you had, yeah, yeah, yeah but and that's perfectly valid. At the same time, like going to a Linux users group, they're like, "You're here, you're awesome. We don't care who you are." Yeah, you know, that's, so happy. that's funny you say that because statistically, proprietary software actually has a better track record of having acceptance of uh, male-female split. I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was something. It's, open source is notoriously low for that. Project. It is actually. It probably does. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's something I think we need to work on. Um, I think so, it's because the the proprietary software is the more traditional path. And I disagree. I mean, I, dis- I, I, I guess I disagree why that is. I disagree because I think what it is is that there is a groundwork laid for proprietary vendors. So, for example, they have a code of conduct. They have human resources to yeah, enforce that stuff. And when somebody goes on, on the mailing list and says, what I need is a such and such to do such and such while I'm coding, and that would make me code faster, and that goes out to a mailing list and offends a bunch of women. Yeah, get that's fired. The, well, you, but you, they don't get fired because it's open source. Not open source, but yeah. in, a, in well, an enterprise they So do. that's my, I think that plays a, that's, I think, plays 
plays the biggest role, per, personal opinion. I think that that definitely influences it. But like, so how would you explain the idea that Ruby Ruby on Rails is uh, their women women who code in Ruby on Rails is about four percent. Like developers who uh-huh. identify as women who code in Rails is four percent. Sure, the rest and, are and that's all... open source, but it's also proprietary. And okay, I, and I think that part of that answer is that um, the numbers for women in computer science are still decent. They're not uh-huh. great. They are growing. Sure. Um, but so, like, proprietary software is the path mm-hmm. that you come out of a comp sci degree. You generally yeah, go into yeah, proprietary yeah. software. You yeah. don't usually yeah. go into an open source career or into a web dev career. Mm-hmm. Like, a web dev is more the non-traditional path, my path. You know, I have a degree in theater, like technical theater design. It's clearly not a comp sci degree. Uh-huh. Um, right. But my non-traditional path wound me up in web dev, which is yeah. where a lot of people end up. Yeah. Because it's kind of that crafting side of right. Cody. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because a lot of the people that I knew that originally went to school for graphic design are now much more sought after yeah. for doing design, for doing um, application development. They want those people. They yeah. want those people with the, with the keen eye mm-hmm. and the people like me that were that you know were kind of from the old school, open it up and do everything in G-Edit, yeah. uh, we're not so desired anymore. We actually had a, uh, an interview about this recently. They call those people unicorns. Unic- um, they're designers <laughs> okay. who can also yep. be yeah. developers. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We had an interview on that in uh, yeah, the last yeah, was, couple weeks. Yeah, I was just looking. Uh, you, actually, it's been a little while. It was uh, episode 15. Unicorns don't exist. That was yep. one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's the one with yeah. Liz. Hey, while you have that site pulled up, uh, mm-hmm. maybe Paige can tell us. Where, uh, so if somebody was interested in in uh, Women's Tech Radio, um, what time, what day, how does that work? What does the schedule look like for that? comes out Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's hosted by Paige and Angela. And I was just looking, Paige, you, uh, you actually, the interview, you were the interviewee in episode 22, if uh, people want to know more about Paige. Yeah, that's actually the, we, we, I'm long-winded, shocker. Um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good problem to have if you're going to do a podcast. It does seem to be. It does yeah. seem to be. So you guys actually just got kind of the back end of my story, and yeah. the, the yeah. interview is the front end of my yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, and then uh, 23 just came out this week, uh, Network Is Your Net Worth. And then, mm-hmm. which I'm feeling this week, episode 21, The Importance of Meetups. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Man, what a great week for that. Yeah. I would have to say if there's one thing that we have had as a consistent thing across all of our interviews, it's how important it is to get out there and meet people. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, Which I noticed is, that too. It's hard, but, you know, it's, yeah. especially as a nerd, if you're an introvert. Like, yeah. But and you can really easily convince yourself that Twitter and Google Plus and Hangouts and Skype solve that problem for you. Yeah. And you can kind of just live in that for a while. So uh, I promise I won't judge you for the answer to this question. Sure. <laughs> Do you run oh, Linux? I, I do when it's useful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have a I have a question for you too, Paige. Uh, what technology gets you the most excited right now? Oh, awesome! Um, for me, it's I would agree with one of our interviews from today: renewable energy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'm all about it. I've got my I Tesla, say, Tesla you, hat on. Did you hear on. about the Tesla home battery and all I, that good ooh, stuff? I have not. I'm a little behind. Mm. Uh, we just had a big project at work, so mm. um, just, they just announced it for Earth Day. Yeah. So I love solar specifically. I think um, it's phenomenal. The idea that if we could cover what is it, something like 15 percent of the U.S. in solar panels, we could more than exceed our energy needs, and that's with current solar technology. Yeah, wow. So, uh, Check out Paige on Women's Tech Radio. They come out on Wednesday mornings, and uh, they got some great interviews with uh, some uh, open source developers at uh, Linux Fest Northwest this year. They uh, they had uh, um, uh, some portable recording gear, and it makes it a little easier when you don't have a camera, so they're able to go around and uh, find people at the booth and uh, interview them. Uh, but it was it was a really good talk with Paige on the live stream if uh, for those of you who got to see the whole thing. Uh, well, uh, Linux Fest was really great this year, Matt. Don't you think it was maybe the best fest uh, yet? It seems like it's it's always hard to equate it because it's like every year is better than the last. But this year definitely felt really, really 
uh, explosive in a, in a good way. And I think a biggest piece of that is we didn't seem to have any Mac equipment at the table. <laughs> um, that was like a thing. I kept looking around. It's like, well, there's. I know there's a Mac here somewhere. There's actually not very, Mac, it, very much Mac equipment it, at the whole there, event. There was there a few, wasn't. though. But yeah. yeah, but it was uh, really cool. And, and it seemed like know, a huge you know, crowd. Uh, yeah, yeah. It seemed like a. It seemed like a ton of people showed up, uh, which was lots of swag, which was really awesome. Uh, and uh, now we look forward to the next events. I know coming up. Uh, the guys are going to be at Self. Uh, we're also going to be at uh, OSCON, and I'm working on BSD Cam, which isn't locked in yet because I'm on my passport yet. Uh, ah. But I'm working on. So those are upcoming events: uh, Self and uh, BSD Can and OSCON. And OSCON, I think, is in uh, July or something like that in Portland. Sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I so, know it's in Portland. Yeah, yeah. that that that'll be a that w- that's a nice one because I'm just going to take the train down there possibly or go down with the family and uh, stay on the coast. And then uh, yeah. drive into town. So that would be good stuff. It's really cool to see everybody in person. And if you'd like to go to a future meetup, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting is where we're going to schedule those, including non, like, really big things. Like um, uh, Michael Dominic from Coda Radio is going to go to a Microsoft event in New York in a little bit, and he'll probably have a meetup there and schedule it at the meetup page. That's a lot of fun. And we brought a few people back to the studio after Linux Fest, and we had a barbecue here. Uh, Albert uh, and his brother uh, brought in uh, some burgers. And that we, was had, awesome. we had dogs, and uh, we had uh, chicken skewers, and uh, and uh, we all celebrated by uh, everybody queued up uh, YouTube videos on the uh, Chromecast that Blaster bought that for the studio. That was fun. Yeah. yeah, and so we just watched those all night. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I think they kept going till oh, I don't know. I don't remember what time you left, Matt, but they kept going for quite a while after that. Oh, did they really? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I left. I left not too long after. Uh, so I'm, I could I could see them going well into the night. Yeah, sure. well, you know, because everybody was just like couch locked nobody wanted to get up uh even when it was time to get food people didn't really want to get up everybody was exhausted (laughs) it was very little sleep but uh boy i tell you what it it really makes me think uh i think we have the best crew in the world like it was unbelievable the stuff we pulled off he had you know uh, unbelievable obstacles you guys you've heard about some of the stuff but you have no idea you just have no idea it's so amazing uh so it was really cool to have everybody here and uh, get to to get to do that in person i mean it's. It, I, I'm always impressed with what we're able to accomplish with all of us all over the place, all remotely. Yeah, right. But, geez, Louise, it was unbelievable what we accomplished in, in the time that we all had together. Unbelievable. Well, so. and I think the secret's the behind-the-scenes guys. The folks that you you know, you know see them in the video clips walking in the background. Yeah, you don't really yeah. hear from them. And yeah. I, can, I can think of three off the top of my head that just, I mean, it, you know. Everybody has them. Like, yeah. It was yeah, so really awesome. Did. Yeah, and uh, so it was great. We got uh, we had almost everybody out to dinner for the whole crew, which was really cool and all that stuff. That's so, right. Uh, all right, Matt. We'll, uh, we'll wrap it up right there. That'll kind of bring us to the end of this week's uh, Unplugged. But uh, I'd love to hear you guys' feedback, especially on that ZFS stuff. So don't forget, you can go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and then choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown. Or even better, you go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and you can start a thread in our subreddit and the rest of the community gets to engage. And if you're going to do the ZFS one, I'd really, really like that. I think that'd be really awesome. And I have a quick plug. If you yep. want to keep up with me, uh, make sure to head on over to matthartley.com. There's lots of stuff happening there. Please subscribe. Uh, definitely want to keep up on some of the stuff. You will care. I, trust me on that. Yeah. And uh, go over there. what is it? Matthartley.com slash t-shirt. Yes. Uh, the t-shirt is, it's, I'd love to get that tipped because that will help these new projects come to fruition. Very, very close. Matthartley.com slash t-shirt. Check it out. they got a great design over there. Don't forget Linux Unplugged is live on Tuesdays over jblive.tv. Join us, won't you? Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. It's where you get that to your, converted to your local time zone. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for this week's episode. See you right back here next week.
Okay, I have one more clip that I want to play from Linux Fest Northwest, but I feel like if I put it in the post show, then I'm abstained right. from any legal ramifications. Uh, and and I don't believe I I actually now Matt you uh, you may get uh, implicated in this video but I don't believe I'm actually oh, implicated care. in this video uh, but <laughs> but Matt and I had no knowledge of this uh, we had this was this, this uh, we can both say this was not premeditated but I'm not uh, like pole dancing or nothing right no I think no it's okay. just Matt you know <laughs> you know what happened the last few years at Linux Fest Northwest our booth has come under attack now Jupiter oh, yes. Broadcasting does not start a war. Jupiter never, Broadcasting we- would never start a war, but Jupiter Broadcasting will finish a war. And every year, every year, Nerf guns are brought to our booth while we are live on the air and we are assaulted. <laughs> we are assaulted. And this year, this year, we struck back. This year, this year, we brought guns to a knife fight. And right. uh, I play you the clip the, as it was captured on the live stream. <laughs> and uh, I got to hand it to you, Matt. Uh, you are two for two. Last year, you had the money shot. And this year, you <laughs> have the money shot again, man. You're two for two. You got to watch this. All there right, we go. got it open. Now, I this is something that happened. Uh, for those of you who have not watched uh, our coverage before, See now we got a little we got we got a little problem here. We have to have a serious conversation. Uh, your, your Jupiter Broadcasting booth is about to become under attack. Uh, it Tell is, me how it's going to become under there attack. There is an aggressive sect of <laughs> Linux like, users present at Linux Fest Northwest. They are armed with Nerf weapons and they attack us. And uh, you better arm yourself, Noah, and get your camera ready because uh, all I have to say now under the table there, I may or may not be handing Noah arms. Uh, Matt may have may or may not have passed them I, I was, to me. I was putting them down both ways. I was like, we're dancing. And I'm, Let's uh, get and, her on. And as I'm get talking on. on camera, I'm opening them. <laughs> but I have to be sly because they're right. monitoring our feeds before they yes. attack. It is. It may be dawn. <laughs> Noah, we are being armed as we speak. This is this is troubling. And for insurance purposes, I would ask that you all make your own local recording. So what? now you can. Jed walks by. He's wearing okay, a no, you coat. go, go, no, go. What am I doing? Oh, you're. Oh, oh, oh. All right. All right. Great all right. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're giving us a gun. Now, what I didn't know at this time, but if you watch the video playback closely, Jed is implanting his children strategically in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, the note cabin. the uh, BSD guy off in the foreground. Yeah, yeah. I, you know What's what? up with him? Note, <laughs> note Alan Jude, member of the Jupiter Broadcasting crew, host of TechSnap and BSD Now, wearing a Jupiter Broadcasting shirt. Note Alan. <laughs> You're not even in the camera shot. You're not What's even, Alan doing? You're shooting what? Us? First shot fired by That's Alan traitor. Jude. First shot fired by Alan Jude. Now, Jed, there's a... That was mine. Okay, now we sit there. We take it for a minute, right? Now we fire back. Look at the traitor. Get the traitor. The silly string goes crazy. Mr. Sith and Blaster nail him. And then there goes Matt. Matt breaks out the silly string, nails Jed's kid. Nails Jed's kid again. And then Matt nails Jed. Watch the Matt stands up. Right the face. Boom. Boom. Oh, shot. Now, a little behind-the-scenes thing here. My silly string actually had a broken nozzle. So when I initially sprayed it, it sprayed everywhere. So I had to, like, reposition it before I could get my shot off. And I wanted to make sure it counted. And then, Matt, and then Matt's going in for the kill. And this is me. I'm calling Matt up. It's all okay. It's all right. No, no, it's okay. No more. We have spilled enough blood. Yes. No. No, no, I'm shot at still. 
happened right now. <laughs> He's just totally This is going for. Uh, oh my gosh. Time, Liability, liability, I liability. Happened. I did not. I did not ask. Well, if you look at where all the silly string has come and gone, none of it points back to us. Kick the silly string out. Get it out of here. We did. <laughs> yeah, get rid of that. Get rid of the evidence. Get rid of the evidence. Yeah, can you believe Alan turned on us? Yeah, actually, I yeah. cannot believe. I that. Can't now, one thing I want to also point out that's really, really important is the man that was on the ground really early on. Albert was out there with a broom. Yeah, okay. he was. Wasn't he? He was, he was out there sweeping yeah. that stuff up. Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah, I was the man. doing a little nitpicky. And that, whatever. I think, I yeah, think because Albert did that prevented us from getting any trouble because we only, we got right up on the cleanup crew and yeah. that was good. Yeah, the uh, red shirt walked by. Um, you know, I gave him kind of a uh, original series death look, and uh, you know, he kept walking, and we, you know, it was all good. <laughs>